Welcome back to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. We're entering a relatively quiet part of the baseball calendar as many colleges have sent students home for winter break and snow and ice is covering most of the local fields in New England. Finding indoor training facilities will be a challenge for players at all levels this winter as the pandemic rages on and restrictions to group gatherings and athletics remain in place. Our first guest on the podcast is UConn baseball coach Jim Penders. He talks about his experience coaching the Huskies this fall when no fewer than a dozen players tested positive for COVID-19. He also breaks down his team's top prospects and explains why New England recruits are better off committing to schools in the region rather than looking for opportunities in the South or on the West Coast. Our second guest is MLB liaison and GM intern for the Katuit Ketleers of the Cape Cod League, Peter Flaherty. The Holy Cross senior was New York Yankees regional scouting director Matt Hyde's right-hand man this summer. Flaherty, who plans to become a scout after his graduation, gives his honest assessment on the top pro prospects heading into the 2021 MLB draft. For coverage of pro and college prospects, recruiting commitments, and prep baseball, visit the New England Baseball Journal website at baseballjournal.com. Now, let's get right to the interview with UConn coach Jim Penders. Jim Penders has worked with the University of Connecticut baseball team in 27 of the last 29 years. After playing college baseball at UConn and earning all New England honors in 1994, he returned to his alma mater first as an assistant coach in 1997. He has been the Huskies head coach for the last 17 seasons. A four-time conference coach of the year, Penders, Penders has a career record of 572, 397, and 5. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Great to be with you. All that stuff and $2 will get me a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, how, how are you holding up this fall? How's everything going uh, for you and your program? You know what? We, uh, you know, I'm trying to look at the, the glass as, as half full, and, and I think our guys did a really good job of, of doing that in the fall. I think we were very fortunate in that um, while COVID certainly did affect our roster to a certain extent, uh, at the beginning of the semester, we were very lucky to have uh, some really good guidance on our campus and um, and some and some uh, trust. And we, with those two things, we were able to accomplish an awful lot. We we got in twenty seven of our twenty seven of our fall practices slash inner squads. And uh, while we did miss some weight room time, and it wasn't a full fall that we're you know we're, we're accustomed to. It was pretty darn close, and it could have been a lot worse. Uh, we, you know, the campus stayed healthy enough for us to to get through it, and now the guys are not back um, after Thanksgiving. They're they're they're, uh, they're attending class remotely and going to do exams remotely, and then we'll see them again on the third of January. They're going to come back early and and do our uh, our slow you know progression back um, and integration into campus so that we're we're ready to begin in mid January. Yeah. Now, when you say the the COVID situation affected your roster, was that guys on your team um, getting infected with the virus, or was it more guys uh, being remote for the full fall season? No, we did. We we had a nine of our nine of our nine freshmen actually contracted it within the first couple weeks they were on campus. It was a situation where we had one dorm um, that was actually shut down. You know, that was quarantined itself um, by the state. And uh, they happened to be in that dorm and it was, you know, it was, it was running rampant through that, that dorm. And the guys fortunately did not suffer any serious symptoms. Most of them didn't have any, well, yeah, the majority didn't have any symptoms. Uh, A couple of them lost taste for a day or two um, and smell, but uh, never really anything beyond that. Um, We did have one guy elect to go home and uh, sit out the year. Uh, We hope to have him back next year. And um, do you know doing part to this you know this stuff? But once those guys were cleared, uh, and we we had one guy who could not be cleared for the for the rest of the semester, but he'll be back in the spring healthy. Um, we were we were good to go. We did have a couple positives on a return to campus that guys that had tested uh, positive, but were not restricted because they had been symptom free and it was past the fourteen day window. So I think we had we had twelve maybe even 13 cases 
uh, on our roster, you know, from the summer till now. So it was pretty significant, but uh, I consider ourselves pretty fortunate to be able to have gotten through it uh, relatively unscathed. Yeah. Now, I know the governor of Connecticut recently put a hold on high school sports and youth sports. Uh, does it, When you saw that, did that make you nervous or, or is it more you're under the NCAA umbrella? No, you know, I I got to be honest. I think our, our, our governor's done a fantastic job um, of, of managing this. You know, I think he, 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 I'm not a very political person, certainly, but I can tell you that, you know, I, th- I think we were out ahead of it um, for the most part and our, our our leadership on campus kind of followed the lead of the governor and, and uh, our board of trustees came up with a really good plan. Our medical folks came up with a really good plan. And, um, you know, I, I'm not, it, Hey, we're used to a lot of change in baseball. We've got to be resilient and we've got to be able to, to uh, adjust. And this is an, just another example of our ability, you know, of, the, of that ability being tested. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're going to be able to get our season off. Okay. And uh, I have to believe that, you know, we're, we're progressing like like that's going to happen. Um, but I'm sure there's going to be some changes, too. You know, and the, the teams with the greater flexibility and the greater resilience are going to be the ones that come out on top. So uh, we're preparing for anything and everything. One of the reasons we haven't put out a schedule yet is because it's changing, you know, almost weekly. But um, our geography, I think, is a hell of an advantage. We've got, <clears throat> I think it's 16 or 17 Division One schools within a within a two hour driving radius of, of, of us. So, um, you know, try to do that in Lubbock, Texas or Minneapolis, Minnesota, or, um, you know, uh, Boise, Idaho, you know, forget it. Um, you know, you're, you're days away from another division one opponent. So uh, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape and be able to adjust on the fly. And I think our colleagues in new England are prepared to do this. From a coaching perspective, as you make those adjustments, are you finding it difficult to evaluate your players or even motivate them with the uncertainty around next season? Sure. Yeah. You know, we're, we're hopefully we've attracted the self-motivated player, but uh, it certainly tested our ability to coach and, you know, technology um, has helped that to a certain extent. I mean, we did a, uh, we did a zoom base running test right before the guys left for Thanksgiving because we couldn't do it in person and um, George Springer happened to be visiting campus that day. I was giving him a tour of our new facilities and, and conveniently, um, well, I can't say it was a total coincidence. I might've had something to do with the timing when I suggested what time he visits. Um, he hopped on and, and kind of proctored the exam, actually helped them with a few answers. Um, and the kids got a you know big thrill out of that. But it certainly tested our abilities as, as coaches and as players. I mean, they've been very patient Um mentally tough, you know, uh, they, they've, they've gotten through this and, you know, I'm hopeful that now that they're home, they have a plan that they can follow without a lot of fear. You know, they can stay within their family units and just make sure that they're getting their lifts in, getting their hitting in, getting their throwing in in, a, in safe environments. And in some ways I think it could be safer than them all being together on campus. So I'm looking forward to seeing the gains that they're going to make independently. That's, that's always a, a this is, the time of year when, you know, guys that might be backup left fielders become starting left fielders or guys that might be the number five starter might get to the number four or number three slot because of the work that they're doing uh, away from us. That's when you really see big gains being made. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we've attracted the right type of guys to uh, to make those leaps. It's interesting to hear you say that because so many coaches, college coaches, I played a sport in college and we, we would go home for breaks it was, uh, you know, the coach was trying to keep a close eye on what everybody was doing in terms of their training. He never liked us to go home, you know, in the middle of a school year because he has so much uncertainty to, to hear you say, you know, that might they might be better off and safer there. It's crazy how much of <laughs> things have changed in the in the last year. One of the things that we've covered extensively, and I think if you co- cover the college level, you know, you've noticed, uh, you know, because of the shortened draft last year and the NCAA granting seniors the opportunity to return, and then there's an incoming class of freshmen that's arrived, it's going to have a Im- big impact on the college baseball season, uh, you know, with expanded rosters and uh, n- kind of roster crunches around starting positions. H- how do you think the game of college baseball will be impacted this season and even moving forward? Yeah, I don't think we know the answer to that just yet. I think it's going to be a two, three, maybe even a four-year 
trickle down effect. I mean, Tim Corbin, when this first was breaking last uh, spring, and he's a leader of our coaches for for sure, um, you know, nationally. You know, he, he said, "Geez, you know, guys, I, I think this is this is going to be kind of very difficult to manage, in that we have the water, you know, coming into the pipe from from two sides, and it's going to burst, you know, and there's nowhere for the water to go. You got guys returning that weren't supposed to return, guys coming in expecting to to start, and you know, I I think it's a boon in some some ways to college baseball, and that there's going to be a lot more talent." in the college baseball ranks this year and probably next as a result of the draft um, being, being uh, shrunk. Uh, but, you know, there, there's, there's certainly going to, it's also going to be a boon to junior colleges. There's going to be a lot of roster movement. Uh, there always seems there seems to be more and more of that every year. Uh, there's going to be even more in the years to come. Um, and, and I think, you know, our players are seeing, they're smart. They, they know what's going on. And Hey, if I'm the 44th guy, okay, maybe we don't have roster limits this year, but if I'm the 44th guy and I'm a competitor, do I really want to stick around or do I want to go to a place where I can continue to develop and get better? And, um, you know, I think in, in some ways it will work itself out. I think you have to kind of um, grandfather this. Um, there's got to be more flexibility. And it seems as though the NCAA has worked very well with us. There's been a lot of common sense, I think, throughout COVID and um, with regard to the NCAA and, and making some concessions and being a little bit more flexible. So I'm hopeful that that trend is going to continue and that we will have a way to manage this so that the water won't burst through the pipe. Right. Yeah, and it has. It's had, like you said, it had a huge impact on last year's draft with them shortening shortening it to five rounds. It has a big impact on this twenty one twenty one draft because uh, guys who probably would have left school or um, you know come out after their junior year last year have returned, and um, now we've got just this influx of talent in New England. We've got um, guys who you know, maybe 10 guys who could get drafted early and have, you know, a lot of value going into this year's draft. One of those guys, Patrick Winkle, was considered one of the top New England players for 2021, uh, probably about a year ago. And then um, he ended up having, did he have, he had Tommy John surgery? He did. Yeah, Yeah. he had it. He's just about 12 months. It's I think it's coming up, I think a week or two from now, it'll be 12 months. And um, he did, he had a successful surgery, uh, Dr. Stuart Alchek, uh, the Mets surgeon, uh, did it, and he was in great hands. He's also uh, rehabbed, I mean, religiously. He is uh, a by-the-book type of, of person from, uh, you know, a real uh, value-centered family who's, uh, who <laughs> he obeys the rules. So it's, at times it was kind of, you know, it was kind of frustrating because you'd see him, you know, he'd get the tape measure out and go 90, all right, I have – 10 throws at 90 feet today and then it's 95 feet tomorrow or whatever it may, may have been, but in the, in the grand scheme, that's going to serve him well. Um, you know, and I think it's going to be really good for, for him to be hundred percent healthy. He was not, you know, clicking on all cylinders this fall. His timing wasn't quite there, yeah. but he's going to be fine. Um, he's still one of the best receivers I think in the country, no doubt. And uh, he's, he's going to have the arm strength. You know, he, he was just getting back to a full go when we finished up fall ball. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure he's progressing well. He's one of those guys that's absolutely time away and he'll be in tip top condition. His brother will see to it um, as well. You know, they're great influences on, on each other. And we're literally altar boys growing up. So I, I never have many worries about the Winkle brothers. Yeah. And it's funny with uh you know, like he got, he had the Tommy John surgery this time last year and, you know, everybody was pretty devastated because he was such a great player and great prospect, but he'll end up, you know, it's not going to end up costing him too much because he only missed, you know, 10, 15 games last year. And then he'll be, uh, he'll be back hopefully a hundred percent this spring. Another guy who kind of benefited was Ben Kasparius. He's a Connecticut guy who earned uh Connecticut high school state player of the year in 2017 he was, um, I did a story on him. I'll just give a quick refresher for anyone who didn't read it. He, in his high school career, early on in his high school career, he committed to the University of North Carolina, went down there for two seasons before transferring back to UConn last year. And then um, he was going to he was gonna have to redshirt anyway, and then it only ended up being like 10 or 15 games that he had to redshirt because of the shortened season. He was He went to the Futures League this summer, and was great coming out of the bullpen. He was throwing, high, you know, mid to high 90s. 
And he seems like a guy who is just going to benefit immensely from getting that year to kind of get settled at the University of Connecticut, find his role, you know, ramp up that fastball. Now, it seems like whenever we talk to Northeast or New England coaches, they say you can play big time college baseball up in New England. You don't have to go south to do that. And you can get your looks from pro scouts up here. You don't have to go to uh, North Carolina like uh, Ben Kasparius did. You could even make the case Ben will have more of an opportunity uh, with UConn because he'll have probably an expanded role. Will you use Ben as an example uh, when you're recruiting in-state players as a guy who may benefit more from sticking around uh, and staying in-state? No, there's no question. I mean, it goes back to the days of Mike Holt and George Springer and Matt Barnes and Nick Ahmed. You know, those guys are going to get found no matter what program they're in. But uh, when you have 30 big league teams in an area as small as New England uh, that are scouting this area, I mean, you'd be an idiot not to stay in New England, to be honest with you. I mean, you you want to maximize your exposure. And let's say you're not a first-round pick. Now, I think Ben could be. Um, let's say you might be a fifth-round pick or a tenth-round pick. Well, that fifth-round pick might become a third-round pick in New England. A, a tenth-round pick might become a seventh-round pick in New England because you're going to be seen. The exposure's immense. I mean, Ben Kasparius had – um, front office people. He had, you know, we didn't we didn't open our our facility, but the gates were open and we didn't kick anybody out. And there were guys from front offices all all over the country flying in to see consecutive starts in a fall inner squad. We have 30 area scouts that cover, you know, when we're playing a Boston College on a Tuesday, you could have 30 radar guns in the stands. Go try to find that in the ACC or the SEC on a Tuesday, anywhere. Go try to find that in the pack. Go try to find that in the Big 12 or the Big 10. Forget it. You're not going to. And uh, that has a lot to do with our geography. Our geography is a tremendous advantage for professional baseball prospects. If you want to be as high a pick as possible, come to New England. The California kids figure that out. Stay in New England if you're a New England ball player and go to a few schools that are competing nationally in our region. And we're fortunate enough to be one of them. And you can find lists that actually show uh, UConn has produced, you know, almost as many pro players as almost any other program in the country, not just New England. And then uh, the number of players in the big leagues, the number of players getting drafted, you know, in the first couple of rounds. It's been impressive. It's it's certainly during your tenure. And you mentioned earlier, George Springer uh, sticks around and um, helps out with the program, you know, and turns up and has a presence for the players on the team now, how much how much of a presence do guys like um, you know George Springer and you mentioned Nick Ahmed and Matt Barnes and Jacob Wallace Wallace have, and how much of that is in your coaching philosophy to keep them close? Yeah, it well, fortunately, it just kind of happens. Um, I'm not taking credit for that. We we attract really good kids from really good families, and um, you know it's the culture that's in place. They want to be a, they know they're part of something much larger than themselves, and they want to come back. You know. I get a big kick out of uh, when I get a check in the mail from one of those guys or some of the guys that are in professional lives other than baseball, too. A lot of guys. Uh, Brian Daniello, one of our former captains, just sent a $5,000 pledge the other day to get his name on a, a locker in our new facility. He's been out of school for two years. And it's just trem- And in the in the memo line, he writes Pillar 4. They know that Pillar 4 is the the most important pillar of our program is giving back after they graduate or after they're in professional baseball. And you can do that with your time. You can do that through your resources, um, uh, you know, your personality or just your, your presence, just being around, you know, our guys. And I'm proud that they do continue to do that. I think a lot of that uh, credit belongs to my staff. We've been able to stay intact with the longest serving staff in division one baseball now with the four of us being in place since the summer of 2011, um, there's no other division one program that has a, a longer term, uh, staff in, in place. So I think that continuity has helped bring those guys back too. And, uh, yeah, we get a thrill out of seeing them as well. You know, and George came up with his wife and, um, he's soon to be, uh, young and he's got his, uh, his, uh, his wife is, uh, almost seven months pregnant now uh, with their first child. And, you know, I got chills just thinking about that. You know, I remember seeing him play as a 14-year-old at our camps, and here he is back on campus, uh, wide-eyed as ever, looking at our new facilities and saying he's going to be back to hit with the guys in January. 
um, assuming that uh, we'll be able to do that in masks and all the appropriate you know ways. But um, yeah, it's a big thrill. It's one of the best parts of my job is that giving back and pillar four and we're fortunate that they want to be a part of that. One of the things that, that all of them say is that the, the New England player, um, they gravitate toward those New England players in, in clubhouses or in opposing clubhouses because they know what it takes, the grit that it takes to, to get it done in New England. And I think that's what the front offices are seeing too, is that, you know, you take a kid from the Northeast, he's not going to be burnt out. He's going to be hungry to get better. And he's had to battle through a lot of uh, adversity. So those guys are the ones that, that often make it to the big leagues. You know, they, there's going to be plenty of adversity in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, we're very proud of our track record in that regard. Yeah, you mentioned the new facilities. I want to ask you about those uh, in a minute. But the other big news for UConn this year is the move back to the Big East. Uh, what what do you make of the move? Uh, you know, I know you played in the Big East and co- obviously coached in the Big East for a long time up until, what was it, 2013? What do you make of the move back? I'm really excited about it. You know, uh, we had a great, oper- we had a great uh, experience in the American uh, in baseball. I think it, it really helped our program. Uh, to be, you know, to be in a league with a couple national, past national champions, and um, you know, to also to to, to be uh, going up against coaches that have all been. I think I was the only guy that hasn't been in uniform in Omaha yet. And uh, there is guys that are assistant coaches with other programs, and uh, they know what it takes to to win a national championship. So um, it was it was a very very much a challenge. Uh, I think it really benefited our baseball program, but the big East is going to benefit UConn and therefore it has to be the best thing for UConn baseball. And uh, we are excited about returning uh, to, you know, it's a, it's a different league than the one that we left. Um, But people have asked me, well, you know, it's not as good RPI wise as the American, aren't you upset about that? Or you think it'll hurt recruiting? And the way I answer that is, you know, we spent the first 10, 15 minutes of every recruiting visit explaining who was in our league when we were in the American. <laughs> and that's not anything again. It was a new league, really good baseball programs. Once we established that, you know, hey, East Carolina, Tulane, Wichita State, South Florida, Central Florida, you know, they would understand, oh, wow, it is a really good league. But we'd always have to do that introduction and orientation first. I think most kids that we recruit, especially in New England, are going to know St. John's and Seton Hall are in the Big East, you know, and uh, Georgetown's in the Big East, Villanova's in the Big East, because that's what they they grew up with. And maybe that's because of basketball or what have you. But I think they can get excited about that. I think their parents can get excited about driving as opposed to flying to see their their kids play. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to some renewed rivalries, certainly. I mean, yeah, I did play in the league. Um, and I also watched it, you know, I got to see Charlie Nagy go up against Mo Vaughn at Bristol's Muzzy Field as a kid, as a high school kid. And uh, there were some great, great teams, great uh, programs in that league. And, this, and the same is true. And I think we can help the league. I think us being in it, I think we can raise the profile. And we're, hey, everybody is, you know, there are some really good programs in this league too. So we're not going to walk in and, and expect to uh, to dominate, we're going to walk in and have to fight every weekend to, to win series. And that's how it should be. So, um, you know, league, I think a league is, has gotten better. I think you've seen some of the teams that were at the bottom really get off to a good start last year. Um, so it's going to be very competitive and I know I'm looking forward to the menus. I got sick of barbecue and grits and going to get back to some really good Italian food and some good bagels at breakfast. And, um, it's going to be nice that way too. Probably not good for my waistline, but um, but uh, good for my mental health. That's and right. a lot better with, to be on buses than on planes too. Yeah, especially you mentioned earlier with the pandemic, that's going to be a big um, a big plus where you, you have so many rivalry games that are close by. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about the new facilities, they were set to open in 2020 and uh, that got delayed due to the pandemic. Um one thing about new facilities, I guess the fans don't always get to see or experience the new facilities as early as the players. How much have you been able to use, uh, you know, the new facilities since last season and what can fans expect to see this spring? Boy, we've, we've really used the heck out of it and we're going to continue to, it's just a dream come true. I mean, it, it is a, um, just a gorgeous facility first and foremost. I mean, it's, it's an absolute joy to go to work there every day it's not really work. Um, I come through the same portal in the stadium and the grandstand every day because I think that's 
I don't know. That's the way I saw my first stadium. I think it was Muzzy Field, actually, in Bristol, uh, coming up a portal with my father when I was a little kid. And the stadium just pops when you do it that way. And um, like coming out of a tunnel and, and a city just pops in front of you. Uh, it's just so cool to to enter that way. And I'll, it'll never get old. I can tell you that. We've worked really hard to get it. Uh, people say you've earned it. And I, I don't really, you know, I, I think or we deserve it. Uh, I think there's a danger there. I think once we have played in it, we will have earned it and we need to continue to earn it every day with the work ethic that, that um, the guys before us had in place and executed. Um, those are the guys who did build this. So we need to honor that by uh, continuing to build even better uh, with our program and winning the right way. So um, we're just, we have used a lot. We, we had the guys out there. They were able to get out a little bit on in the summer on their own as the construction finished up around the facility, the field itself was done in time for last season. We even got a kind of a practice in before uh, COVID, but we're, we're uh, the lights are great. And now in two weeks, uh, the coaches anyway, are going to be moving into the RZA performance center, which is adjacent to the Elliott ballpark. And uh, that's going to have a clubhouse, five indoor tunnels, a training room, a weight room, our, our, uh, ping pong table in the beautiful clubhouse, uh, two team meal rooms. Um, our, our coaches offices are there overlooking left field. It's just, nobody has anything like it in the North. We are, uh, we're absolutely thrilled to, to move in there. The players will be moving in in January. And I think it's going to be like a second Christmas morning for them when they arrive on January 3rd and, and we get in there. So, uh, we, we just can't wait. We can't wait to be filling that place up with, with the Husky faithful in the spring and, and uh, hopefully into the early summer, uh, which means we're playing some post games there, post, uh, postseason game. Right. Yeah. Well, we're excited to get down and check it out. Uh, it's always a great product on the field. So, um, and there's a lot of exciting players uh, headed back this spring. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to see it all if, as long as um, things go well with the virus. So, Coach, I want to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been great having you. You're welcome. You do you do the same, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon, and uh, all this will be in our rearview mirror, and we, it'll be time to play ball. Hey, everyone. If you're just discovering New England Baseball Journal through our podcast, be sure to check us out online at baseballjournal.com where you'll find daily content on the New England baseball scene with in-depth coverage on preps, high school, the youth game, college baseball, MLB draft, college commitments, the minors, summer leagues, and the pros, and a whole lot more. Right now, you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, plus every issue of our print magazine delivered to your home, office, dorm, or clubhouse, for only $99.99 per year. It's simple. Just log on to BaseballJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you and get in the game with New England Baseball Journal. Time to go around the diamond for a look at news items and nuggets for the New England baseball scene. For more insight on any of these news items, visit BaseballJournal.com. The winter edition of New England Baseball Journal is available both in print and as a digital edition. Visit BaseballJournal.com to read all of the stories on the top New England prospects, as well as features on high school prep and college student-athletes. In that edition, New England Baseball Journal selected its Players of the Year and Pitchers of the Year from the levels that we cover. Our MLB New England Player of the Year was San Francisco Giants outfielder Mike Yastrzemski of Andover, Massachusetts. Our MLB New England Pitcher of the Year was Kansas City Royals setup man Scott Barlow of New London, Connecticut. At the college level, BC infielder Cody Morissette and Hartford pitcher Nick Domkowski took home the honors for Division I. In Division II, Bentley outfielder Max Troiani and Southern New Hampshire pitcher Jeffrey Promi were recognized. In Division III baseball, Wheaton catcher Nick Raposo and Salva Regina pitcher Patrick Maybach were the top players. We also named players and pitchers of the year for the Futures League, Newport Collegiate Baseball League, prep and high school levels. To find out those award winners, visit BaseballJournal.com. Finally, New England Baseball Journal contributor John McGurk recently completed a series in which he recognized the top prep players to watch at each position. 
More than 200 players were recognized over the six-week series. For those features or any other prep content, visit BaseballJournal.com. Peter Flaherty is an MLB liaison and GM intern for the Katuit Keteliers of the Cape Cod League. This past summer, he also served as a scout and coaching staff assistant for the Northeast team at the Area Code Games, East Coast Pro Showcase, Summer Rivalry Classic, and he was also a part of the summer workouts for the college players in New England. Peter, Jack, thanks for joining the pod. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Great. Well, I've heard your name come up quite a bit over the last six months. You've been uh, New York Yankees regional scout Matt Hyde's right-hand man when it came to organizing tryouts for the Area Code Games, East Coast Pro Showcase, and Summer Rivalry Classic. In the fall, you put a, a, put on a few workouts for college players as well. So you've gotten a good look at the top college and high school players during the pandemic. Uh, how do you think the MLB draft class of 2021 stacks up from the perspective of New England players? Man, you know, I this is really my first year sort of in the, I guess, scouting role. You know, between the number of high school kids we saw this past summer and the college talent we saw, both the Division One level and all the way down to the Division Three level, whether that be in scrimmaging the North Shore Navigators with Sal Fralick and Cody Morissette, or all the way to you know the D three guys that are work out in October with Pete De Maria, um, it's shaping up to be a really really special class for the Northeast, and I think is going to be a trend you know over the course of the next several years. Yeah. And you've been scouting for the Cape League or the MLB liaison for the Cape League. So in your role there, you've been kind of assessing and scouting guys. Um, how do you think, like, you know, next year as you look to fill those rosters uh, or your roster in Katuit, um, are you are you honed in on New England guys for the most part? Or are you looking at guys all over the nation? So the search is always a national one because, you know, the Cape League is – long had a reputation of being the place for college players to go during the summer for their best, you know, summer ball experiences where they'll face the best arms night in and night out. And it's pretty comparable to what they'll see uh, usually a year down the road in professional baseball. But so we don't really, we're not really partial to one area, but this year with the talent, like I mentioned before, we're definitely honed in on the new England area. I know we have a lot of great connections with schools like Boston college and Harvard and, UConn and you know there are a lot of great programs around the Northeast and we've been in contact about some of their players and hoping that it works out where we get some of those you know Northeast tough players to come down and get us to win an 18th championship. That's right yeah and I know you're finishing up at Holy Cross with a goal to become an MLB scout after after you're done at Holy Cross. I think one of the difficult parts for me, about talking to scouts uh, about prospects is they is they don't really want to tip their hand and reveal their thoughts on each and every player uh, and reveal their draft board. So one reason I really wanted to have you on the pod is because you've seen all of these players recently, but you're also not employed currently by an MLB team as you're finishing up in college. So it's not like you'll be revealing a specific team's draft board. So um, with that in mind, I want to ask you some quick hit questions about some specific prospects. Um, there have been a number of New England guys who have I've read in different places or have been generating first round, you know, potential first round buzz for the 2021 MLB draft. Obviously, you know, we're not going to have four or five guys from New England getting selected that high. But of these four or five prospects, who do who do you think stacks up as the top prospect between BC Jr., Sal Frelick, uh, Michigan left-handed pitcher Steve Hazier, who's a no, uh, North Andover guy? BC infielder Cody Morissette, Virginia pitcher Mike Vassell, or Wake Forest pitcher Ryan Cusick. All those guys are originally from New England. Yeah, I mean, that's a. it's really tough to pick one of those guys out of the five. I think they're all, you know, top five-round talents. And if the draft is the same format as it was last year, which I, I don't think it will be, it, it's going to be expanded, um, they'll probably all get drafted. Um, but out of those five names, I would say – Man, that is a really tough question. I would say probably Stephen Hadger from Michigan or Ryan Cusick from Wake Forest. I know Ryan Cusick, um, you know, had a really loud summer this year. He was fortunate enough to play in the Coastal Plains League with the High Point Thomasville High Toms, and he he gained a lot of velocity. And Wake Forest does a great job developing their pitchers. They get a great 
pitching lab down there with, you know, Rap Soto. They got TrackMan, you know, the slow motion cameras. They've got it all, and they've really put it to use and have really essentially become a pitching factory. And then he's been up to, you know, 97, 99, even touching 100 with a quality breaking ball and off-speed offering. And, you know, with Steven Hadger, he's a projectable big lefty for Michigan, should be their Friday night guy. This year he was much like, you know, almost all of the collegiate athletes last year. He was a vic- he fell victim to the pandemic where, you know, he was on pace and Michigan was on pace to having a great season and it got cut short and he was going to play in the Cape League and that obviously didn't happen. But, you know, I think he really has a great year this year as Michigan's Friday guy. He's a tall lefty. He throws strikes. He's going to get strikeouts. He's another guy who has a quality pitch mix. And I think they both project well at the – you know, going forward and our future big leaguers. And that's not a knock against Freilich and Morissette and Vassal. Cause I think those three guys also go, you know, in the top three, five rounds and also have a legitimate shot to be big league players. You know, Sal, especially um, he's an exceptional athlete. So I would, I would say those two um, especially jump out to me personally, but the other three you can't go wrong with. Yeah, it's funny. Like every time we do our rankings, it's, you know, one of those guys is getting a ton of buzz and you're like, they can't all be first round picks, you know, all five. But, you know, you could find guys who like any one of those five above the other four. It's, you know, they're all great prospects. And sometimes we don't have in New England a prospect of that caliber at all. So it's amazing to have all five of them. Do you think I know uh, Joshua Baez got some buzz this summer uh, Jonathan Santucci was a good high school prospect. Um, Dennis Collarin, who was on the cover of our last New England Baseball Journal. Do you think any New England high school prospects will get drafted high enough to sign after in 2021? Absolutely. I think, you know, the three names you mentioned obviously jump out. You know, um, Josh Baez has, you know, some of the best raw power, at least I've seen. I know, you know, he put on a show this summer and, batting practice and it translated over to games. I mean, anyone can hit a ball, you know, out of the park consistently in batting practice, but to have that translate over into games against the best arms, both in new England, you know, in our rivalry classic and, you know, scrimmages that we did, but also nationally at the area code games is a, it's a unique trait to have. And Josh has that. And um, so I think Josh Baez is definitely a name that jumps out. Um, Jonathan Santucci and Collarin, like you mentioned, Dennis Collarin, talk about a guy who's sort of draft boards. The same goes for Santucci, but Dennis was a guy who, you know, he wasn't even playing on his travel teams, you know, quote unquote, a team, I think two seasons ago, he was, you know, a skinny kid. He didn't have a ton of velo yet, but man, this summer he, you know, put on, you know, gained a lot of strength. He's been up to 97 with a hammer slider and a quality changeup. He's a bulldog on the mound, and he's going to compete. And I think he's another one of those guys that embodies this sort of Northeast tough mentality. And same thing with Santucci. Um, Phillips Andover and KG, they do a great job with their program, and they've got an insane roster for this year, them and Dexter especially. And so I think all three are guys that, are, that you know, could be high draft picks, but you know, they're also three kids that really value their academics, and they're smart kids, and – they have a great work ethic on the field and off the field. So I have no doubt that whatever the decision they make, whether it's to sign or, you know, to go to Northeastern or Duke or Vanderbilt is going to be a good one. Yeah. And then another one is Miles Langhorn out of Connecticut. I think he's a really polished and developed arm for his age. You don't see a lot of kids who can throw, you know, a slider and a curveball, both as a quality pitch and for quality strikes. And Miles does that. He did it really well at the area code games. You know, typically guys have, you know, fastball curveball or fastball slider. You know, he's got a full arsenal of pitches, you know, in his belt, and he uses them all effectively. And I'm sure I'm leaving out another name or two but because the class is so deep. But I think those are four guys who I would not be shocked to see them get drafted high enough where they sign. Yeah, it isn't. It's crazy how impressive these this year is in terms of the 2021 talent, Um, you know, three or four high school prospects that could sign. Uh, We went through the five who are going to be drafted high Uh, University of Connecticut. We just had Coach Penders on 
as part of this podcast. They have some prospects, some pro prospects. But this year, they have uh, Pat Winkle, who was obviously a very uh, strongly rated prospect heading into last fall. He wasn't eligible for the 2020 MLB draft, but he'll be eligible this year. He had Tommy John surgery in the fall. Ben Kasparius is a guy. He was on in the Futures League this summer throwing mid to high 90s. And then Caleb Worcester, I don't know if you saw him at all in the Newport Collegiate Baseball League last summer. He may be moving to the starting rotation this year. Where do you see those guys going in the draft? They're another deep team in the Northeast. Uh, I think BC, UConn, Northeastern, among others, they got a really good crop of guys, and I think they all get selected high enough to sign Kasparius, especially. Um, he, you know, I think he's going to get a build off of that summer in the Futures League. I, he was probably going to be a Cape guy in any other summer. Um, and I think coming back home to UConn is a great choice. He's going to be an integral part of that team, and I think he's really going to show, you know, the Northeast and the country, you know, what he's got to offer. And UConn does that every year. They're going to be a regional team, a super regional team, you know, make a run at Omaha. Coach Penders does a good job over there developing guys. I know he's got a great crop of guys coming in for the 2021 class and, you know, some transfers from, you know, local D2 schools. One that jumps out to me is uh, Matt Donlin, a catcher from Stonehill. Um, He's got an absolute bazooka of an arm. He's got a big body. He can move well behind the plate. Um, I think he's an exciting piece that will play for them. And, you know, I, I think they're going to be a really good club with multiple draft picks. And not only this year, but next year, you got Reggie Crawford, who's a big time prospect. And the future is definitely bright in stores. And Northeastern's another team that benefited from uh, getting a few transfers this year. They got Ben Margieri. Uh, who has been kind of all over the place, um, Holy Cross, and then I think he was out in New Mexico. They they have big-time prospects for 2022. Sebastian Keene and Kim Schlittler are both very highly rated prospects. Uh, who are the guys you think will get drafted from Northeastern this year? I think, you know, it's a great list. I think the, you know, guys that jump out immediately, you got Scott Holswazer, the middle infielder, who I believe won Newport League MVP this year, or he was – either first team or MVP, he, he collected a lot of accolades. Yeah, he was hitting like 650 through the first month of the season. It was crazy. Yeah, he was swinging it really well. And uh, Ben Malgieri is another guy who, you know, like you said, he bounced around a little bit. But as a true freshman at Holy Cross, I remember I was watching one of their games on my laptop. And as a true freshman, he, you know, got in the box at, you know, no pun intended, Alex Box Stadium against LSU. And he put a ball pretty deep in the left center field bleachers. And, I was like, wow, you know, that's a true freshman hitting in the two hole going deep at Alex box. And he ended up having a great year there, went out to New Mexico, had a great year, you know, like you mentioned, came back for the futures league and showed really well, was an all-star hit above 300 showed off some of that power he's got in there and he can run too. He's a great athlete. You know, he, he ran, I don't know the exact 60 time, but I think it was six, seven or six, six, maybe even six, five at Northeastern scout day or the futures league scout day. Um, and then also you got Jared Dupree, uh, corner outfielder who hit really well in the futures league played really well at a rivalry classic. He's, you know, he swings a fast bat, got good raw power in there. Um, great defender in the outfield with a good arm. And yeah, I, I think they're, you know, very similar to UConn in the sense that they're going to be in that regional spot. And, you know, if they get in, they're going to surprise a lot of teams because, you know, like you said, you got Schlitter and Sebastian Keen, right? Sebastian Keen, excuse me, right off the bat. And then you also got, you can't forget Ian Fair over at the corner, you know, at third base. He's, he's really good. He moves very well for his size. He's a six, four kid consistently finds a barrel on the bat. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to be a really tough out and a really tough team to beat. Northeastern, just they seem like they get stronger every year. We did a story a few weeks ago on guys who, and, you know, we didn't include the Sal Frelicks and, um, you know, the Ryan Cusicks and guys like that who are already very highly rated prospects. But we, we did a story on maybe 10 or 12 prospects who kind of made a jump this summer. And you had mentioned earlier Dennis Colleran. What high school players do you think really helped themselves this summer during a pandemic by, you know, performing at these elite showcase events or workouts? 
Sure. Uh, I, I think the first name, you know, like you mentioned, Dennis Collarn is one. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, Juju Stevens is another from Connecticut. He's a really good twitchy athlete. He can play in the outfield. He can really run. He consistently finds the barrel on the bat. Uh, he's got a great swing. He extends through the ball and generates power. Um, you know, he really did himself well at East Coast Pro. He showed really well on a great team, too. Swung a good bat, had a couple of extra base hits. I know he got a lot of interest over the summer, and he had a lot of interest prior and ended up at Missouri or committing to Missouri. Who knows how it'll go with the draft. Um, but he's definitely one of them. I think Henry Hersom from Rhode Island, who's down at, I believe it's the Pro Combine Academy in North Carolina, but he's a New England guy. I remember he came to one of our tryouts this summer in Hartford. And, you know, he's a big 6'5 kid. He's got room to fill out, too. He's pretty skinny now. He's about 90 to 93 with a good breaking ball. Got a nice, loose, long arm. And I think he's a guy. He's an old Dominion commit. He's another guy to look out for. And then out of New Hampshire, if you want to go north a little bit, in Vermont, I think Owen Kellington from Vermont is a big-time sleeper kid who started to, you know, raised some eyebrows towards the end of the summer. I think he fell victim both to, you know, the pandemic and being from Vermont, it's a unique situation. It's not necessarily a baseball, you know, hotbed, um, but he's a really talented prospect out of there. He's a great athlete on the mound. He's about 6'3", 180. He's been up to about 93 with a quality breaking ball and he commands both well. And I think he's going to be a great addition, you know, to Coach Penders' staff and UConn. Um, and then one other guy who I think also, you know, raised the stock and turned and raised some eyebrows this summer was, uh, Matt Maloney in New Hampshire. He's mm -hmm. a wiry catcher, um, with a lot of room to add some muscle and to add some pop. And he's already got some present juice. He's, he was putting balls out of, you know, Dunkin' Donuts Park in Hartford. And he's got a great arm behind the plate. He's a great backstop for pitchers. He caught a lot of quality arms really well this summer. You know, guys throwing mid-90s with above-average breaking balls, and he received them all well and got dirty and blocked them. And I think he's another guy. And then one more is Frank Mazzicato from – he's also a Connecticut kid, and I think he's going to be another great addition to UConn staff. He throws a lot of strikes with a good 12-6 breaking ball, very simple delivery. Um, he's already 89-91, and – I think, again, you know, the future is super bright for all these kids, whether they, you know, get drafted and sign out of high school or, you know, go to UConn or Missouri or Dayton and, you know, do three seasons there and then sign. Right. And you had mentioned a couple of guys who on the college side had kind of helped themselves and put themselves on the radar as potential draft picks when heading into the pandemic. Maybe they weren't quite there. I know uh, Dartmouth's Ben Rice was Futures League MVP. He kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, what other college players do you think really helped their stock? Yeah, Ben's definitely one of them. Uh, he's a guy who participated in our rivalry classic and a couple of our workouts and showed very well. Um, Tommy Seidel the, and Logan Bravo from Harvard, that dynamic duo over there. Tommy's a really athletic center fielder, runs a 6-6-60, high school quarterback, you know, center fielder. You know, he's a he's probably one of the best athletes um, on a Northeast baseball roster this spring. And he's got some juice in his bat and he finds consistent barrels, makes a lot of hard contact with a direct path to the baseball and extends through it nicely. And I think he's going to have a big season for Harvard and Logan Bravo, obviously big kid, six, five, um, didn't have the best season in 2019 for Harvard. And then last year, obviously you can't really, it's not a great barometer to judge kids on just because there were so little at bats, but he went to the futures league with the navigators and hit really well and started to tap into that juice that he's got in there. You know, he hit multiple home runs. He's a big kid at six, five and he moves really well for his size at third base. Um, he even, you know, played a little shortstop at our showcases and he's got a great arm across the field with some carry. And so I think those are two guys. And then uh, the net and, you know, even more locally, uh, depending on where you are, in the NESCAC, you got Henry Leak from Babson, who's, you know, a pretty little kid, but not a little kid. I mean, he's he's a 
strong guy, but, you know, small in stature. Um, but he's been up to 94, 95 this summer with a great slider and a good feel for a quality changeup. And uh, Coach Noon obviously has built a great program at Babson with, you know, multiple College World Series appearances and always in contention for a national title. And I think he's going to be a good cornerstone of that program. And finally, Pete DiMaria at Tufts is another kid really great defensively and can really, really pick it at first base. That was sort of the first thing that jumped out to me at our workout was you can really pick it over there. Um, you did it on turf, you did it on grass. Um, you know, nothing got past him, both, you know, receiving throws and also feeling ground balls. And at the plate, he's got, you know, really good power. And again, he's one of those guys that consistently makes hard contact. He posted, I would say the most consistent, hard hit balls at our workout. So exit velocities, you know, 95 and up, he was lighting it up and putting balls out of the bar, putting balls out of the park and, you know, spraying it to the gaps. So I think, you know, top to bottom, whether it's, you know, guys like Mason Pelio at BC or Pete DiMaria at Tufts, it's a really, really good crop of guys and it's going to be a fun spring. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's always nice to see those D2, D3 guys kind of get in the mix for draft consideration. And I think this year, more than any, they were able to get those opportunities in some of the events that you and uh, Matt Hyde put on this summer and the workouts and playing in the Futures League against some of the best players in the area from New England. I think those D2, D3 guys really had a chance to show out, and they and they did. So that was exciting. Well, Peter... I really appreciate you taking the time. You've got a bright future ahead in the scouting and evaluation business. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and get updates every time a new podcast drops. Thanks to Jim Penders and Peter Flaherty for joining the pod this week. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.